Uh, good morning, fellas. It's Andrew. So, sat down last night and watched Ghostbusters again. Here's what I can say. First of all, it holds up. It holds up lovely. It's fantastic. I don't know. I go into Ghostbusters to enjoy Ghostbusters, to be entertained, to laugh, to see some, you know, ghosts. And, you know, it sufficed. It might as well have been just a Bill Murray vehicle uh, to let him be Bill Murray. But it it was still great. It was still great. Uh, There is some cheese, you know, definite 80s cheese. I'm not regretful of liking it in the 80s when I grew up. I'm not regretful of liking it now. Uh, I probably even will watch Ghostbusters 2 tonight or tomorrow just to enjoy the silliness that is the Ghostbusters. So hopefully you guys enjoy it. There's a lot still to be talked about, but that's what I can get you for now. Thanks, guys. Peace. Hello and welcome to episode 41 of Can We Still Be Friends, a podcast that tests the limits of the friendship between two people who mistake movie taste for personal morality. I'm Nate Goss, here with Ryan Ebling and our special guest, Tim Yoder. Hello. Today we are discussing the 1984 Ivan Reitman classic, Ghostbusters. Response to the new all-female reboot has been divided, to say the least. Many people welcome the new interpretation and have high hopes for the talented actors and filmmakers involved. However, a vocal group of loyal fans have expressed anger at the new take on a movie they feel ownership to, with many claiming that the new film has ruined their childhoods. This movie was neither a part of my childhood nor Ryan's, so that's why we brought Tim in to discuss what this movie may mean to people who grew up with the characters. Ghostbusters was a huge success, raking in nearly $240 million. Its visual effects and Ray Parker Jr.'s original song were both nominated for Oscars, and Bill Murray was nominated for a Golden Globe for his fan-favorite performance. Critics were more or less unconvinced. It has a 67 on Metacritic. Um, Some critics believed its comic vision survived the big-budget treatment, while others thought the movie stalled in its attempt to depict the unusual concept. One uh, critic described it as Bill Murray enters The Exorcist. Over the years, however, the movie's fans have bestowed upon it masterpiece status as seen in the nearly irrational response to Paul Feig's new version. So is Ghostbusters an untouchable icon, one that should be observed and adored but not tampered with? Or are $240 million worth of fans wrong? And this movie is actually a disaster of biblical proportions. Keep listening. you could believe mr pecker my name is peck or you could accept the fact that this city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportion what do you mean biblical what he means is old testament mr mayor real wrath of god type stuff fire and brimstone coming down from the skies rivers and seas boiling 40 years of darkness earthquakes volcanoes the dead rising from the grave human sacrifice dogs and cats living together mass hysteria enough i get the point What if you're wrong? If I'm wrong, nothing happens. We go to jail peacefully, quietly. We'll enjoy it. But if I'm right, and we can stop this thing, Lenny, you 
will have saved the lives of millions of registered voters. All right, so that was the Ghostbusters explaining to the mayor the debacle that New York has uh, found itself in in the film we are discussing today, Ghostbusters. Right. And the reason we are discussing it is because you might have thought by that description that he could have been describing the all-female cast and new new Ghostbusters movie set to come out this summer. That was not actually uh, Ghostbusters fans uh, (laughs) watching the trailer. That was from the original movie. <laughs> and we we wanted to rewatch the original um, in the face of all this. What, what sort of a masterpiece is this? But um, Nate and I didn't feel like we really understood it fully because so many people had this link to their childhood. That there was a movie they've watched over and over. Um, so we brought our friend Tim Yoder, who joined us previously on the Quintarantino episode. Who uh, Tim, this movie was a part of your childhood, right? It, it very much was. All right. So that'll be good to have uh, your perspective on this. And we will also talk about what it's like to watch the movie now, um, 32 years later. But first of all, happy Father's Day. We're recording this on Father's Day. Oh, yeah, Day. yeah. Happy yeah. Father. This is your first Father's Day. My first Father's Day. Father's yeah. Day. Uh, Nate, this is your second... Third? How do we? How do we? How do oh we man! It's How's your third, that right? Because your boys are two. Yeah, yeah, that makes so it. There three. was that first one. It's all yeah. a blur. Yeah, yeah. For me, every day's Father's Day, though. Oh, really? Oh, that's great. And Tim, you're gonna be a father mm-hmm. uh, in the fall. So happy pre happy, Father's Day, right? It's like the pregame for you. Yeah. They gave me a free beer at brunch. So. Oh, perfect. That's <laughs> official. <laughs> right. You know, it is interesting to think about being a father because I think a lot more now about. I almost watch all of these movies that have any sort of childhood connection at all. Sure. Uh, in terms of, is this something that I can't wait to show my boys? Mm-hmm. Uh, what will those movies be for my boys as far as like the new ones coming out, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and and Ghostbusters, it really wasn't that kind of movie for me. Yeah. I think both of you and me, Nate, I don't know about you, Tim, the cartoon was a part of our childhood. Yes. I watched the cartoon a lot. The the movie itself wasn't. But yeah, Yeah. I think that's interesting. I think about that too. Like what movies am I going to show my son? And Mm -hmm. what movies are the ones that he's going to love? And I I watched my nieces and nephews watch Fuller House, which we talked about in LA (laughs) Confidential. Yeah. And I'm like, oh shoot, they love this. Did they? Yeah. Well, she's four. So we're going to have... She's four years old. Okay. She loves any it, the laugh track happens and she laughs. So is that any Very excuse though? Really? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. She is. Um, so well, yeah, I think that's an interesting lens to view movies through. Yeah, and so why don't we just you know very quickly. Like we do in a lot of episodes, let's just go run down maybe the, our first experience watching Ghostbusters. I don't think there's much for us to say. No, really. I don't I mean, really remember the first time I saw it. It was after college, honestly. Yeah, mine was one of those, I need to fill in this gap. Yeah, and I, it was, I was kind of sick of hearing people say like, you haven't seen Ghostbusters? Yeah, it was one of those for me. And yeah, I was totally into the cartoon. So I was, I guess, more into like the merchandising of Ghostbusters yeah. than I, like I had, I loved Ecto Cooler. Mm, oh yeah. We had to drink the Ecto Cooler. Which is coming back. Is it's it really? Coming back. bringing it back with the new movie, yeah. All right. Yeah. With Which a it never female left. Slimer? I don't think Slimer's gender changed. You don't maybe think so? Maybe it has. Maybe it has. Oh. I don't uh, know. I, I can't see them doing that in a sensitive way. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. And I remember my buddy had uh, one of those, like, it was it was like one of those guns, the Ghostbusters yeah. guns, but it projected a ghost onto the oh, screen. Oh, I, I had one of those. Yeah? Yeah. And it made a noise, too, like a weird, like, mm-hmm. eerie kind of noise. It, you could switch. It had a disc. You could project different ghosts. Really? Oh, yeah. that's right. Uh, you know, so that was my experience. Ryan's, you're just... 
pretty similar. Pretty much the same. But yeah. I would love to hear, Tim, if you could just talk about, you know, how old were you when you saw Ghostbusters? Do you remember? Yeah, I, I think I'm about a year older than you, Nate, and that that was enough to make a little bit of a difference. The, the movie came out in 84. I was born in 82. But the cartoon, I'm pretty sure, was 88 to 91. So uh-huh. I was about six years old when I watched the cartoon. I probably did see the cartoon first. I probably saw the movie on VHS from the public library. Okay. Yeah. So How I saw a lot of the movies I watched when I was a yeah, kid. Yeah. VHS from the public library. It was that and, you know, like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle animated pilot were my favorite things to get there. <laughs> and, and they occupy a pretty similar space in my life. There were lots of things that I really appreciated about the cartoon. I mean, first of all, when you grow up in the middle of nowhere, Iowa and Oskaloosa, you get six channels with the weather's good. <laughs> you watch what's syndicated on ABC. Mm-hmm. That happens. And uh, Ghostbusters was definitely there. And I I just loved it instantly. And a lot of it comes down to my friends loved it. Mm-hmm. It was something yeah. I had in common with them. It was great. And as a kid, you know, one of the one of the first things to say about the show, the franchise in general, is that really clicks with that age that you overlook as an adult, but is really important is that it was a very easy game to play because there are very defined actions, very defined beats to the story. Okay, we're going and looking for the ghost. We found it. You mean game as in playing with your playing friends with your and friends. pretending you're yeah. the Ghostbusters? Yeah, pretend yeah, games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I get you. Yeah, pretend play like. You, you, you look for the ghost, you hunt the ghost, you find the ghost, you trap the ghost, you put it in the containment field, you know. And I hadn't repeat. thought about yeah, that because a beginning ghost, and an end to yeah. every sort of Yeah, it's a natural So, so it's easy to, it's easy to imagine. Yeah. Very know? easy to imagine. And, and, you know, you can do it at recess with no props, but if you want props, you know, come on, you can make a proton pack out of anything. You've yeah. got a backpack, a backpack you've got a, yeah. a wand, you got a <laughs> vacuum cleaner, whatever. You can make a PKE meter out of a car with doors that open. I mean, <laughs> you know, anything. <laughs> true. And, and that's really important to kids. Yeah. I mean... Uh, <laughs> or at least like internalizing the movie and really making it a part of your mind, yeah. your brain. Yeah. It's a very easy movie to identify with. You know, for me, being a nerdy kid mm-hmm. and having a series with nerdy protagonists yeah protagonists whose value is found in the fact that they are geeks they are wonks they are into the parapsychology they have phds and you know it looks different in the case of the three of them uh the three main characters uh who are you know not the token black character right (laughs) unfortunately (laughs) yeah Yeah. something we have to read with a little bit of grace given the age of the film sure i I hope but uh you know also recognizing the fault where we see it Mm But, you know, for me, it was important that I could identify with these characters. And so to me, the idea of, you know, another generation of girls watching it and being able to identify with these, you know, Mm. the boys already have their own Ghostbusters. Sure. And, you know, for me, having a daughter, that that is something I think about even more. Yeah. When it comes to Ghostbusters, I would definitely put it in the category of things that I would love to introduce my kids to, but not in the category of things that I will be really upset if they don't like. Yeah. I think that's a that's a really interesting thing. I, I kind of started gathering, trying to gather movies before I ever had a son because I saw so much stuff out there that I'm like, I really don't want to watch that over and over again. So I need to know what's out there yeah. to show them. Um, I don't know about Ghostbusters, but um, we can talk maybe more about that 
later. One other thing I might bring up is in preparation for this, I had to go back and rewatch some of the cartoons. So I did. Really? Oh, did you? I did just a little bit of that. Okay. And I don't need to spend too long on it. Although there are, there are two factoids on it that I think are pretty much worth mentioning. First of all, Winston Zeddemore in the first and second season was voiced by Arsenio Hall. Uh (laughs) And the second that's, that's funny. I mean, this is a little more widely known is that uh, Peter Venkman, Bill Murray's character was played by a voice actor, well-known voice actor named Lorenzo music, who is probably best known for acting out the part of Garfield in the animated series. Oh, and friends. And then, and then some years later, you know, Bill Murray, who oh, yeah. only has a voicemail, apparently, instead of an agent, hears that Joel Cohen wants to adapt Garfield and wants him to do the part. And, you know, of course, he, he accepts thinking it's Joel Cohen, but they are different directors. <laughs> and he clearly has come to regret this. Uh, but it, it's funny, though, that... It kind of comes full circle It comes that full way. circle. Yeah. Lorenzo yeah. Music plays... Bill Murray, Bill Murray plays Lorenzo music. And there's a nice symmetry to that. But there I mean, is. other, other things to mention about the cartoon, you know, like on the scale of, I want to binge watch this right now to, I can't believe I ever saw any value in it. I place it kind of squarely in the middle. Mm-hmm. The animation to it is better than I expected by a long shot. Huh. And, you know, I wouldn't say that it's great writing, but you know, TV in 1984 was a secondary derivative, right. not not it was the another art form ma- that people are trying to make it now. It was another product. It was just another product. And, I mean, I will give them the credit that they, they put effort into it. Mm. They even cared enough that in a couple of episodes, they even tried to explain odd gaps in continuity in very creative and sometimes postmodern ways. Mm. Like... First of all, they changed the appearances just to make sure that they didn't have to pay actor royalties on their using sure. their likeness. They, they had proper agreements in place at first, but they weren't sure that would always be the case. And second, you know, just to help people distinguish characters, because three white guys and one black guy and, you know, tan jumpsuits all look a lot, all look pretty similar at, uh, at a distance. Right. Uh, they changed the jumpsuit colors and made them more distinctive. Hmm. Well, you know, what what they decided is, you know, first of all, they talked about how their battle with Gozer had contaminated their suits and their new suits had, had arrived. And <laughs> they at least cared enough about their audience or at least the potential to OCD continue of it off kids. of the movie. Interesting. So, and, and they actually solidly placed that that episode as a flashback against the movie where they have to begin by rebuilding the firehouse. In another case, explaining the characters looking different. The more postmodern situation was they had an episode where they talked about being consultants when they made a movie out of their exploits. So the movie that you're seeing, the cartoon was actually the, the, the real, real Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Well, that was the name of the show too, right? Which was also due Later? to a trade by, trademark okay. dispute, uh, the or potential trademark d- dispute. But I think that the the whole making a movie off of the cartoon was an interesting way to continue that, that joke in that line. And yeah. The one really funny joke too, that comes out of that episode too, is you see the three of them looking at, you know, some documents on the movie and they look at it and say, Ramus Murray and Ackroyd, what's that a legal firm? <laughs> and, wow. Yeah. This does really sound like a pretty smart show. Uh, <laughs> is the Ray Parker song in the cartoon oh, yeah. right because i remember them it's like them kind of marching to it in the beginning right yeah yeah, yeah 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 i kind of have that image mm-hmm. in my mind that's and, as far as they, it goes yeah. they cut it into the action sequences <laughs> anytime they could because kids never get tired of it so oh that song it, yeah, i don't get tired of that, that song, song. But, 
All right. So, well, do we have ratings on this? Uh, even if you didn't rate it, what what might you have rated it? I actually forgot to check uh, my letterbox to see what I had it at beforehand. I imagine it was probably like a three or three and a half. But yeah. I mean, mine was a three. Okay. Yeah, so kind of the same, you know, yeah. average. Whereas what, what, my six-year-old self would have put it at a solid five. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> it was one of two movies I watched. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's that's saying something. Does it change at all rewatching it just briefly? Mm. I, I I think I'd, I'd put it at like a three and a half, but I laughed more this time. I thought it was funnier this time. Yeah, I did too. I mean, I, I still put it at a four at okay. least. Okay. I, I, I can see the flaws in it, but I think it's a funny movie. And yeah. A good concept. Yeah. I think I thought it was funnier this time than yeah. I had thought it was before. Um, but yeah, I'm interested to hear what you thought, especially looking back on it. How long has it been since you watched it? A couple of years ago. Okay. Yeah. It's been a few years for me. So we, we all kind of said we thought it was funnier, right? This time. Should we talk about what worked for us this sure. time watching it? I think for me, like what I caught this time that I don't know how I didn't catch it last time was I realized this is really Bill Murray's movie. Yeah. You got a cast like Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd in there supporting and you're you're thinking it's going to be all three of Feeding them. Feeding off each other. Not really. It's no. each person kind of gets their little moments here and there. But Bill Murray's guiding this whole thing. Really. He's the he's the captain of the ship, really. And um, I think maybe I just thought his character was a lot funnier this time than I did last yeah. time. I remember as a kid finding him the the funniest thing in the world, but you know this time <laughs> this time around, you know, and, and more and more watching it as an adult, it's just like I never noticed how sexist he is. I never <laughs> noticed how yeah. how problematically you know womanizing he is from the undergrad at the very beginning to I've, his relationship yeah. with Dana. Yeah, but I don't know because he doesn't ever actually get away with anything. Yeah. It didn't really bother me when I watched it. Um, like that early scene, it's pretty... I thought it was pretty funny. It is still funny. Think hard. What is it? Circle. Close. Spot definitely wrong. Okay. All right. Ready? Yeah. All right. What is it? Eight. Incredible. That's five for five. You can't see these, can no, you? No, no. You're not cheating me, are you? No, I swear. They're just coming to me. <laughs> okay. Nervous? Yes. I don't like this. I don't know. It, it's... It's so Bill Murray to me, mm-hmm. I think, that is why I thought it was so funny this time. That, that is like, true. You know, meatball stripes. Like, he, he was... It, it almost seems like there's a part of his shtick where he kind of knows it's pathetic. Yeah. You know, like, he he's not being kind of the douchebag. Almost like they know it's pathetic, <laughs> and he knows they know he, it's pathetic. Like, he's playing a part you within get that the part. With Dana. And, yeah. Yeah, I think you get that more with Dana, that she's very smart and sees what he's doing, whereas the undergrad maybe doesn't yeah. fully see what he's doing. But it's sort of like, come on, don't you, like, at least think the fact that I'm trying is cute? I, I was just a little more sensitive this time to how much I don't think she wanted him to be cute and funny and slightly passive-aggressive. I felt like he was a little more intrusive this okay. time. I think in general, his character, though, if we're, we're really going to get into it, and sexism is actually part of this discussion, but I think 
his character is saved, like the the overt sexism of it is sort of saved based on the fact that when she's possessed, she's throwing herself at him and he won't do it because he understands this isn't her. Like, I did appreciate that. He really that. does actually care about her. He finds her interesting yeah. and attractive. There's actually a really smart, I think insightful line where he, where she says, I want you inside me. And he's like, go ahead. No, I can't. It kind of feels like there's two or three people in there already. <laughs> yeah. But like, it's just, it's a, it's a line that shows he's not just this mindless, like horn dog. Possessed women are not able to consent. <laughs> That's true. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> One thing I did kind of notice along with Murray's character um, and who he is, but there's just in the writing itself, there's a lot more innuendo in this movie than I ever remembered. Yeah. You know, there's that whole part about there's already two people in, or more than one person inside of you. Um, and then there's also just like <laughs> that weird. There's like the ghost. Yeah, sex what the part. heck? That is so weird. I, I, I had that written down. Actually, that whole montage was kind of a big question mark for like me. Like the ghosts but are yeah. unbuckling his belt. and But he has a dream that a ghost does that. Is like that it doesn't dream, actually it? happen because okay. he's sleeping oh. and then he dreams that he's like, it doesn't look like ghost intercourse. It looks like <laughs> ghost foreplay. That whole montage I wrote down, is the montage weak or is it iconic? Because it's like up to that point in the movie, Bill Murray doesn't fully believe everything. And then they see Slimer and then like, bam, they're huge. They didn't do anything to develop how they get out of their financial hole, whatever. Like, oh, no, we just got really famous. People liked us. So there's that that I don't really like about the montage. But then there's the completely out of nowhere, <laughs> Dan Aykroyd gets a blowjob from a ghost. You think, and as yeah. a six-year-old, that was hands down the most confusing part of the movie to me. And it's confusing to me as an adult. Like, I, Why is that there? But there's a lot of that in this movie. There's also the whole like key master, gatekeeper, right. innuendo kind yeah. of thing going on, especially with uh, sure. when they're possessed, the Sigourney Weaver and Rick Moranis character. Yeah. And then also, it's not quite sexual, but the whole idea of like the crossing the streams, you know, is so... <laughs> it's just dick Again, humor. It's, it's just movie. dick humor. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I have a radical idea. The door swings both ways. We could reverse the particle flow through the gate. How? We'll cross the streams. Excuse me, Egon. You said crossing the streams was bad. Cross the streams. You're going to endanger us. You're going to endanger our client, the nice lady who paid us in advance before she became a dog. Not necessarily. There's it's hilarious. Don't get me wrong. But yeah. like, there's a lot just of this unspoken rule that you're not sure stuff. what'll happen. Yeah. And then it turns out it's actually okay. <laughs> I don't know. Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was reminded watching the movie how much I miss Rick Moranis. Oh, he was definitely uh, the part to me that was the other key other mm -hmm. than uh, Bill Murray in the movie. Right. I, I totally agree. And then I also just kind of brought back how much Rick Moranis was kind of a part of my childhood with the uh, Honey, I Shrunk, honey, the, I kids, shrunk the Kids and Honey, I Blew Up a Kid, which wasn't as big a part of my childhood as Honey, I Shrunk the Kids mm -hmm. and uh, Little Giants. And yeah. Just like that guy was great. Mm -hmm. Um and I don't know if you I, – I found this out later, and I think it's worth noting just because uh, it's actually really important. His his One of his kids had medical troubles. Right. And he um, just gave up he acting. He gave up acting. He said, I, that, yeah. no, I, I need to be home. And that's why he hasn't done a movie Didn't, and won't do movies. Did uh, his wife pass away too? Yes. And that was also mm -hmm. part of it too? Like yeah. he needed to be there for his kids. Yeah. yeah. Which is amazing. Um, but it just made me remember how special and unique he was. Because really, you don't even have Rick Moranis imitators. No, not like, really. Nobody could do what he did. Mm -hmm. um, 
And it was just great to watch him again. It actually kind of makes me want to go back and watch some of those other ones. In Ghostbusters, he is so funny, too. Just his character, mm-hmm. like when he's got the party going on and he's kind of just running down the costs of the right. party. Like yeah. he's the accountant. Which is all one take and yeah. was all ad-libbed by Rick Moranis. Do you have any Excedrin or extra strength Tylenol? Gee, I think all I got is a acetylsalicylic acid generic. See, I can get 600 tablets of that for the same price as 300 of a name brand. That makes good financial sense, good advice. Hey, this is Real Smoked Salmon from Nova Scotia, Canada, $24.95 a pound. It only cost me $14.12 after tax, though. I'm giving this whole thing as a promotional expense. That's why I invited clients instead of friends. You having a good time, Mark? How you doing? Why don't you have some of the brie? It's at room temperature. You think it's too warm in here for the brie? Louis, I'm going home. Now don't leave yet. Well, listen, maybe if we start dancing, other people will join in. That is a really odd combination of someone who is super nerdy, mm-hmm. but also uh, has a flow to their speech that's just mm-hmm. like, you know, nonstop and, yeah. and smooth. Right. You know, it's like this smooth nerdiness to him. Right. That's very odd. And un- I think only Rick Moranis can pull something like that off. What else is odd about his character is that everybody else in the movie is Bill Murray playing this, Harold Ramis playing this, Dan Aykroyd playing this. Almost like you're watching an SNL sketch and you're like, you don't really care about the character. You care about the actor playing the character. Whereas Rick Moranis, like he stands out because he's almost the only person fully committed to his character Mm -hmm. um, who's not winking at the audience at all. But it does get me back to our Blues Brothers discussion because I remember you saying that you just didn't think Dan Aykroyd was a funny, funny person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not in this movie. No, he's not. Well, part of the thing is they, they make him play the earnest guy. And he is of those actors. Dan Aykroyd is a believer. the one who believes in aliens. He is a believer. Yeah, very, very strongly. Yeah. So maybe he actually asks to play that part. And it's not that he's I not don't trust you guys to take this seriously yeah. enough. <laughs> but <laughs> the big right. punchline, he gets the big punchline. And you know, talking about you know, as a kid, oh, I the never I, the Stay Puft Marshmallow yeah. Man. Yeah. As a kid, I was just thought, yeah, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, the biggest baddest ghost they have to fight. But the way the movie sets it up is. You all have to think of and name the destroyer. And the four of them are sitting there trying as hard as they can to clear their minds. And what, what does he think of the Stay Puft Marshmallow right. Man? Something from his childhood, a combination of Pop and Fresh and the <laughs> yeah, Michelin and, Man, uh, basically. Right. <laughs> I used to have a pencil sharpener that was the Stay Puft Me Marshmallow. Me too. Yeah. And, marshmallow. And, and, and the fact, too, you know, like talking about your, your situational humor that's just mm-hmm. brilliant in retrospect is... That it's a burning marshmallow joke in the end. <laughs> but they, they set him on fire and wa- we're watching a big sticky burning marshmallow right. climb a building. <laughs> <laughs> and in the actual point where they reveal that the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man is going, you see them each re- reasoning out and trying to argue back, no, I didn't think of anything. My mind was blank. Yeah, and and one by one, everyone around. is there and he just kind of sinks into the background <laughs> with yeah. a completely horrified face <laughs> knowing yeah. what he did. I thought he played that one off perfectly. I, yeah, he did. He did. But just in general, though, he's just not a character that you no. really look to for laughs. Neither, though, is... Uh... Winston. Winston's out of more. Now, now let's not get to problems with the movie yet. Let's let's because <laughs> yeah. I do want to I do want to say something that actually I I on top of the movie just being funnier than I remembered. Something I noticed this time, and I I don't want to say they don't make them like they used to. You know, uh, I don't want to just fall back on that. But I do feel like you don't see comedies that uh, care to have such high concept stories and set pieces. Yeah. I think Will Ferrell will do high concept a little bit 
with Anchorman semi-pro that Talladega he did Nights. Talladega Nights. Yeah. He'll put characters in situations. I think he'll still do that. But for the most part, comedy tries to be relatable nowadays. I'm, I, what I'm, who I have in mind is Judd Apatow, uh, Jonah Hill, Seth Rogen, um, Evan Goldberg. You really see that their ideas come from what they look at every day. Yeah. So you could just see their movie ideas going, starting with Superbad, which they, I think, wrote in high school about high schoolers. And then, like, they're kind of struggling with the idea of what happens when we grow up. And so you've got Knocked Up coming out of that. And then, like, what happens once we have grown up? And you've got uh, the neighbors, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, what would it be like if our house was next to a, a, a rowdy house? Like, right. it's just like, it's, okay. it's all very small. Right. You Extremely know. small. Um, and you just don't have somebody saying, taking this like idea and really creating sort of a new idea. It's pointing out what's funny about your life right now. I think that's probably getting tired for some people. Yeah. Well, you do, what's, you, you wh- do have that though. And, and maybe this is why, uh, Ghostbusters is being made the way it is because you do have that with some of the Melissa McCarthy stuff coming out that's like true. spy mm-hmm. and the boss. Yeah. But that is kind of what she's been doing for the last few summers is these yeah. sort of high-concept comedies. And honestly... With a character in a place, yeah. you know. And, yeah. and, and often, those high-concepts always come with a little bit more risk. Definitely. You know, and, and, yeah. and they don't tend to always Audiences be, aren't going to see that. Right. Or audiences are going to see it, but it's getting slammed by critics. It right. usually seems to go one yeah. way or the other. Yeah. Well, it's like painting a target on yourself. If you don't like the concept, it's a very easy byline to write. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. That's true. Yeah. Um, so that was something that this time I was like, yeah, you just wouldn't see anybody commit to an idea like this unless it was a remake because nobody's coming up with anything new. But another thing that is happening in this that definitely Judd Apatow uses, but I think uses too much, is how much improv there is. There's almost every scene has something improvised in it from what I was reading. But in each scene, it gives it such life. You can almost see the other actors being like, I don't know what you're about to say. You know, just like there's that feeling. It's a little bit of energy. Yeah. Yeah. Versus the way that Judd Apatow, I I hate slamming him because I I do like Judd Apatow's stuff. Um, And Paul Feig definitely comes from the Judd Apatow school. But I think, and maybe this is an episode from their day, it's it's getting... It's getting diminishing returns, I think, at this point. Like, I love some of the early stuff Apatow was doing. Yes. Yeah. Well, go ahead. Well, 40-Year-Old Virgin felt so fresh. Yeah. And and even Knocked Up did. And and, Knocked Up, definitely. Um, But what those are is... Okay, here's the line we wrote, which I did would expect based on the fact that they know they're going to be improvising heavily. They just have like the type of joke they want, whether or not it's a good one. And then the actor goes, and it is impressive to watch an actor come up with 50 different jokes, mm-hmm. like one right after the other. But then they have to edit it, and right. every scene feels disconnected. Yeah, like very choppy, and like yeah. the way the person's talking sounds like he just said 50 things rather than. He's responding to what they said. So just even the performance of it doesn't have energy. It's like you see them all of a sudden they're tired because that was the 50th time they made a new joke on that. And it's just this litany of jokes. And then I guess it's time to move on to the next scene. We got enough. We can work with this. Yeah. Um, And so I I just feel like uh, they don't make them like they used to. (laughs) Not really. But like it's just that that's sort of it's sad that that sort of effort doesn't pay off that people aren't willing to take that risk like you said a concept is high risk and the time it takes to write a script that is tight is high risk another thing that stands out to me about this movie too is you know we've talked a lot about it as a comedy but in a lot of ways it's is more of an action comedy than just a straight comedy 
And not only did they commit to their premise, but they committed to the idea that their premise was a good action story to tell as well. Like yeah, one they of the, don't one, abandon it halfway through. They don't anything. abandon it. They don't treat it like it's silly. They they treat it with you know a certain amount of dignity yeah. all the way through the end. Even if their great destroyer is a burning marshmallow, they still play it kind of straight. Yeah. Like this is dangerous. Dungeon. Yeah, right. And you know another thing too that that stood out to me is I can't believe I watched it as a child. You know I can't believe I was committed enough that I mm-hmm. followed it through for as slow and as long as it is. Like one of the reasons I think it would be kind of hard to show a child is how long it takes to develop that you have some comic, but mm-hmm. subtle lines that are driving the funniness of it, but it takes a long time for it to pay off. You know, they're, they're losing their grant. They're finding new quarters. They're mm-hmm. finding their first client. These, these things take a long time and they let them have a lot of room to unfold. I almost feel like one of the they don't make them like that anymore elements is just trusting your audience to be able to stick with you through exposition. Yeah. It's not necessarily peppered with something entertaining at a yeah. juncture. Except good writing. Except or good writing. Good yeah. improv or whatever. Right. Yeah. And even their opening scene where they're doing the first ghost busting, the, the New York Public Library scene, it's not this like huge, big budget thing. Like the pacing the of it and just, off the, yeah, yeah, it's unfolding in a way that's really kind of pulling you into the movie. And it never yeah. really goes big budget right well, there. Got, where I think today's movies, you'd have to have that opening yeah. scene that just slams you. Yep. And then you get the Ghostbusters theme and you're like, yeah, yeah ready to rock. Right, you know, and right. you don't really get that in this movie. You no, get, it's you get the mood yeah. more than the heart rate. And, um, I think too, now sort of speaking to your question, how did you as a six-year-old hang with the movie? The movie also is just very clear what's going on, even if you don't know the specifics of it. I can't imagine as a kid, you understood like what the EPA was doing, investigating their thing, but okay, that's a bad guy. I know that he's trying to get them to stop. I don't want him to stop. That guy must not be who is good. So they need to not do what he says. Like, that's all you really need to yeah. know as a kid. I thought, I thought the EPA subplot is so 80s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, why well, the EPA they was need, the villain? Yeah, yeah <laughs> they, need, they need the stuffed shirt slobs versus snobs. Like, that's all they really know how to do is, like, it's not enough that they're against ghosts. Like, are they really, are they really like, preppy ghosts? Yeah. No. Well, we need preppy, like, people who look exasperated by them. Don't patronize me. I'm not grotesquely stupid like the people you built. That ease off, sir. I'm Peter Venkman. I think there's just been a slight misunderstanding, and I want to cooperate in any way that I can. Forget it, Venkman. You had your chance to cooperate, but you thought it'd be more fun to insult me. Well, now it is my turn, wise ass. He wants to shut down the protection grid, Peter. You shut that thing down, and we are not going to be held responsible for whatever happens. No, we won't be held responsible. Don't shut it off. I'm warning you. Um, I've never seen anything like this before. I don't know. I'm not interested in your opinion. Just shut it off. I love that the guy, like, just like a guy whose whole role is to be like, go, (laughs) (laughs) he really doesn't need lines. He He just just hates them because he doesn't know what they're doing. Right. Like, that's the only reason. But it's the same reason that the people hate, uh, you know, Chevy Chase's character in Caddyshack (laughs) and Delta, Delta, Delta in, in Animal House. Watching it this time, it felt pretty, like, nostalgic, I guess. But I, I also was like, it's it's what keeps the movie around a three for me. Well, that, yeah, so I was going to ask you, I'm, I've been trying to deal with this myself. Okay, so I laughed. 
I had a good time watching it. Why do I the just special keep... effects were pretty pretty good? Mm, that dog part was pretty no. The dogs awful. are bad. Yeah, the dogs so, are bad. But, but otherwise, yeah, the minimalism. The, the Stay Puff Marshmallow looks great. Yeah, and, yeah. A lot of the creature design for the ghosts, yeah, is pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah. What I'm trying to figure out is okay. So why does this kind of just stay in that average realm for me? I don't know what it is. I think it's really hard if you didn't grow up with this as a child to kind of make it something that you really care about all that much. Yeah. You know, you're right. Like I haven't really said anything bad about it. Um, there are like, well, the montage thing, and since the movie's plot relies so heavily on it, and I can't tell if it's like tremendously weak. That definitely has a bearing on this. That the movie clearly wanted to go someplace and when it couldn't really figure out a great way to get there, it was just like, well, just do it. Just like go there, you know? Um, it wasn't very realistic about uh, the, the hardships of starting a small business. Well, a ghost busting business specifically. Right. Yeah. The, the whole Winston character, he's like, more than halfway through the movie, right? Where he comes in and he just yeah. kind of shows up and he's like, I just knew I had to work with you guys. And they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then he's there and says a few lines and he's... I mean, his his role is supposed to be that he's like the reasonable grounding character. Is he supposed to kind of bring in that sort of blue collar aspect to like the tradesman? The like this is a guy tradesman. who's not, you know, pro- from the intellectual academic world. And, and that's and, what his big appeal is supposed to be. But, you know, it also just kind of comes across as him vouching, you know, these are actually our heroes. It comes more across as hero worship rather than the common man vouching for the nerds. In the, in the cartoon, funnily enough, they do actually flesh him out into being the one who is like the reasonable grounding hmm. one. And yeah. he actually gets much more characterization, but so you're defending their use of a token black character? <laughs> no. <laughs> Although you know, I, I always did like Ernie Hudson. I, I just I yeah. liked him as an actor. I liked the way he played the character, and he, I don't know. He he got a pretty good back and forth with the "Do you believe in God? Do you believe?" Yeah. No, I definitely do. Like he he the scenes he's in are, are strong, but he just he does get the last line in the movie. Just screams, I love this town, which is like, are you saying New York is a like <laughs> classic New York? <laughs> More Lovecraftian New York. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not something like, I don't like the movie less for political reasons, really. Like, right. I mm-hmm. think that's that's a sign of the times. Uh, they don't make them like they used to. Like well, I mean, they also unfortunately didn't put black people in movies. Like, even in like that we, time, just the inclusion of a token black character was unfortunately kind of progressive. By yeah, it was standard. a pat on the back. Like, hey, nice job. Nice job. And, <laughs> but that's something that like is one of those things that you look at now and it rubs you the wrong way. But it doesn't necessarily like in this movie take away from my overall judgment of it. Yeah. Yeah. But I, uh, what is, I think, I think the movie just kind of does feel uneven. Like it's got those great scenes and then it's got the filler scenes and then it, it really does lag for me in the middle. Let's talk then. I guess we haven't really landed on, for me and Nate, what just doesn't really stick with us about the movie. What we, we kind of have general feelings about it. And I think it's just, that's it. Well, then I just think it's, it's a solid movie. But yeah. Just never one that's going to have that really special place in my sure. heart, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And so let's talk about the people nowadays who do seem to have an almost diagnosable connection <laughs> to the movie. That that you've got the there was one film critic who said, "I will not be seeing this movie." I saw that, yeah. Uh, which almost seems like more of a clickbait thing than anything else. You've got people just 
booing through the trailer at movie theaters. Like people are being really, really angry about this. Uh, and I don't, I don't think we can dissect their their psychology. But let's talk about the idea of remaking this movie, watching it again. What do you think about the? What are the merits or what are the dangers? What, what why remake it? I don't know. Let's talk about I, I just think, some general things about it. I think the dangers are exactly what you talked about in our LA Confidential episode, the last mm-hmm. one, if listeners want to go back and listen to that. I mean, I think there's just the general danger of just rehashing original yeah. stuff. I think it's actually a very clever choice to make a Ghostbusters film with an all-female cast. Yeah. That uh, right give, there is they're doing something new. Right, <laughs> exactly. It's one yeah. of the few ways that they just escape a, a sheer nostalgia, re- yes. yeah. nostalgia rehash. Not just vomiting out the same thing because mm-hmm. people want to revisit their childhood right and not trying to find like who's bill murray today not just the traveling wilburys of comic male, <laughs> male comic actors well, they, right now but they are because you i mean if you look at the cast they are kind of like what that snl troupe was at that time i get you it know? I, I i think you're right like in in, in the fact that they picked names A-list, that will you know, draw com- people yeah um but what I'm saying is that from what I've seen in the trailers, I, I don't think there's a character. There's not a correlation between. Oh, characters. they're not trying to just do straight lines right. between Bill Murray right. and, and no. like, for no. instance, Kristen Wiig's going to be the Bill Murray character and right. play it exactly the same way. Right. And- After I watched the movie, I watched all the trailers that were out there, and it seems pretty different. I, I have hope for the movie. Like I do think it'll be good. I feel like they didn't cut the trailer all that well. Their focus, their emphasis was a little scattered. I'm really interested to see it. Just in general, we all feel pretty positive, right? Sight unseen mm-hmm. about the idea. I I'll admit that I didn't, but it was more just because I just don't want to see another, another Ghostbusters. Remake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It had nothing to do with the female cast aspect of it. And we've talked about Paul Feig. Like we both yeah. like you mm-hmm. know some at least some of what he's he's done, and yeah, uh, you know he's he's capable for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um. I think that honestly, I kind of had a backlash against the backlash. Like, definitely, and like, I think that's happening I a lot. I was not interested really in seeing this movie, mostly because I'm not a huge Ghostbusters person. Right. And then there was this backlash, and I'm like, you know what? That's ridiculous. Now I want to see it. Yeah, now yeah. I want to support it. I want to give it my money. I still love the whole Ghostbusters concept, even as an adult. They've talked about doing a third Ghostbusters for a very long time. That's true, and, yeah. and not just as a cash in. Yeah. And so to me, I'd like to think it's more than just nostalgia to say, I want to see another Ghostbusters movie. And, and when they told me, you know, when I read online, it's going to be an all female cast. I finally thought, well, that might just be the thing that makes it work. Yeah. Hmm. That might be what gets it out of development. Hell. It'll also be interesting to see whether or not they talk about the original Ghostbusters. I wouldn't really like it if it was like, my dad was a Ghostbuster. <laughs> you know, <laughs> now my question is going to be, what if I see it and I hate it? Yeah. Like, well, how am I going to... Well, know? you got to have good reasons. <laughs> like, better have some reasons. I feel like I'm going to have to like really analyze what is it about this that I really I think hate, at that point, you know? just say you haven't seen it yet, but you're really excited to. <laughs> yeah. Personally, it'll probably be like the original Ghostbusters. Yeah. Yeah. That was a pretty good In movie. In that there sense, I almost really feel like our detachment works to our favor. Probably. Like, we can probably just go and watch it and be like, yeah, it's probably a decent movie, you know? Or if people were a little bit more generous. I mean, I think, Tim, you're probably going to be... Uh, it doesn't have an uphill battle with you. No. Um, which is good. I think if you have healthy expectations that what you liked as a kid, you know, isn't what you like now. Like, I don't know. A lot of my support for this movie is rooted in the fact that I know that all those actresses are groundbreaking mm-hmm. and talented 
comedians and actors. And I just want people to finally realize, like, not just see it as a handout from the studios or pandering to a certain um, demographic. I, I can't tell, I can't figure out for myself whether or not I'm, I wish it weren't a remake because they're not letting these actors form their own identities. Or if I'm glad it's a remake of something so iconic Mm -hmm. that it's like almost more symbolically passing the torch rather than like something completely original. Yeah. That makes sense? Yeah. No, I I get it exactly what you're saying. I think I'm willing to cheer for the latter, I guess. Yeah. That it's a passing of the torch. Yeah. And that if it wasn't a remake or a reboot, even if it was the best, you know, groundbreaking idea for a new movie, um, it might struggle to find an audience. Yeah. And this is a way of having sort of a built-in audience, which maybe they did or did not imagine would be so angry about this. Yeah. But, but it's a built-in audience nonetheless. The big pitfall of something with this kind of built-in audience is it's more than just a built-in audience. It's built-in fandom. It's, a, it's something that people have learned to feel a sense of proprietorship over, something they feel like they own. And the people who continue these properties owe them something. What I don't get about this backlash, honestly, yeah. is why this movie? Why were you not pissed off like well, eight that's movies why, ago? Well, that's why because I some, find it so scary. Right. Yeah. It's because, because it's rooted in sexism right. and misogyny. But really? they don't want to admit... I mean, there's, I've read a lot of articles that were just like, I it's can't take it. It's not about that. It's can't take the it. It's just the yeah, yeah, it's just the straw that broke the camel's back, and I just can't take these remakes well, so anymore. Now you're standing up. Now, <laughs> Oh, it's moral backbone. <laughs> ah, that's what it is now. It, I mean, it's also part of a a larger trend that's unfortunate that we're seeing of people fighting against what they call the politically correct yes, culture yes, and yeah, yeah. feeling like they need to uh, assert themselves. I, I mean, I can understand where if if you do love something and it is escapism for you, it might be the last place that you really sure, want to see sure. some other values pushed upon you. But I also say it's, you know, entertainment is one of the most important places to make cultural change. Yep. Mm-hmm. And if so, you, I think the argument can go completely the other way too. If this is escapist where your mind is being turned off, then what's being reinforced at the, the least active part of your brain is this sexist culture, this white heteronormative thing and you could say oh it's just it's nothing like it's not i'm not trying to think and that's the thing like what it do is doing is reinforcing when you aren't thinking all you're thinking about then is a white male dominated this is the zero you come back to right so i think actually my my rating is actually going higher i think on the rewatch than ghostbusters yeah because in talking about it i'm i i kind of because I can't really articulate my problem with the movie, mm-hmm. I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt. You know, and bump it up to what four? Yeah, all right, I'll do that. Four. <laughs> right. I don't want to. You know, I don't want to make a decision. I'll go for a whole you. star. All right. Now, I, I, now it's on you. Be the change you want to see in the world, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very confident in my three and a half. Okay. I feel like to me, a three and a half is a solid movie. I think Ghostbusters is a solid movie, but. It's just never going to be a movie, I think, that's going to be up there with all my favorites. Would you yeah. show it to your boys? I will. Yeah, because why not? You would show your boys a three-and-a-half-star movie. Yeah. To me, a three-and-a-half is not bad. <laughs> I, get, I, know, I, know, I, I know. We I know. just watched Zootopia. I put Zootopia at a three-and-a-half. I think it's a solid movie. Hmm. You know. All right. That's fine. I don't really care, actually. 
Tim? I think you do. Nah. I, okay. I'd probably bump it up to four and a quarter. I really four like and a quarter. <laughs> we don't do quarter stars here, please. Okay. Make it a half. Four and a half for nothing. Sure. Commit to something for once in your life. <laughs> <laughs> Four and a half. Okay. Well, I I, I feel the uh, I feel enough enough reinforcement that I'm I, I'm I'm not going to be challenged too harshly on this. No, 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 so. no. Because we, we I mean we've given we've given nostalgia ratings. Yeah, I don't things. begrudge anyone their nostalgia no. at all because I've certainly showed it. Unless that nostalgia turns yeah. sexist, misogynist, and violent, then then I maybe check yeah. that nostalgia. True. Um. All right, so but given uh, three different ratings, can we possibly be best buds on this, or does it have to be mutual understanding? I just don't find Ghostbusters to be a movie that I could get all that angry about. Yeah, like, someone could hate it and or I'd be all like, that oh, "It's cool," it. yeah. or "I love well, yeah. my favorite movie." All right, I, yeah. I can see that. You know, yeah. I just I can't get angry about Ghostbusters. Like, like I know. said, I've already posited I wouldn't be too upset if my own flesh and blood were sure. slightly indifferent. <laughs> sure. So. What if your flesh and blood liked the politically correct uh, liberal Hollywood reboot more than the original? I think there is a good chance that the new one Should might pro- be better. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So mutual understanding or best, but like, what does it even matter? I don't think it matters. Do we even care enough to put a label on that? I just don't. It just doesn't matter to me. Ghostbusters is. I feel okay. I feel I feel good in okay. the room. I mean, I don't feel any well, animosity. Get ready for internet backlash. <laughs> I will say, Tim, it was great having you back. Thank you, you. Uh, you definitely added an insight that I don't think Nate and I would ever have uh, even gotten. No, here. and I learned way more about the Ghostbusters cartoons <laughs> yeah. than I ever thought I could. <laughs> I would like to clarify: I did some research. This is not, not just like from memory as <laughs> seven-year-old Tim, like recording vcrs and pausing them on the credits and writing names down to look <laughs> more up more so library. having to having to do this without wikipedia yeah cross-referencing <laughs> your garfield and friends wait a minute mom take yeah. me to the library now <laughs> no thank you so much for having me back i love doing this. Oh, good good great. good we love having you yeah thank you for being here so why don't we uh why don't we go ahead and uh, switch gears here and let's talk about uh did i say switch gears here you did. All right. Let's go ahead and switch gears here and okay. talk about our next episode of uh, Can We Still Be Friends? For our next episode, we're kind of going to jump on that anniversary train like we do sometimes to figure out what we're going to talk about. So yeah. we're doing one that's going to be celebrating a 25th anniversary yeah. made in 1991. Correct. And it's going to be Oliver Stone directed JFK. Yes. So why are we doing this one? Um, <laughs> well... <laughs> Well, because it's 25 years, there's that. Yeah. We feel like doing it is one. And the reason yes. we feel like it, we were, we were both saying, uh, one thing about it, right, is the O.J. Simpson, O.J. Made in America right. documentary on ESPN. Um, I've been excited for it for a while. I just started watching it today. We're on it's part three. Five it's, parts. It's, it's like seven and a half, eight hours to it. long. We can't stop watching it, me and my wife. On top of that, so that is a, obviously a documentary in great detail, uh, examining O.J. Simpson uh, and his murder trial. Earlier this year, um, or maybe even late last year, uh, you had uh, The People versus O.J. Simpson, a 10-episode dramatization of the O.J. trial, which I watched and was riveted by. You've got this mixture of dramatization mm-hmm. and documentary. Right. Which Trying Jay- to sort of explain maybe what the culture was like a very difficult concept one that 
you know, people still believe OJ's um, guilty. People still believe he's innocent. People have very different reasons for believing each. Um, and JFK, obviously, his assassination has uh, produced many, many conspiracy theories. And um, with his movie JFK, Oliver Stone explores those ideas, but he also doesn't tell you which ones are false. What information is misleading? He uses documentary footage. He right. uses new footage. And I um, think that what, what both of these things do and what kind of made us curious to watch it is they're taking these things that have happened in America that aren't easily answerable. Right. But bring out a lot of underlying thoughts about the country. Yeah. They expose some things that maybe sometimes are a little ugly. Sometimes yeah. they're a little controversial. Sometimes they're conspiratorial, you know. And and so we thought that the similarities made them made JFK worth watching and yeah. exploring a little bit, and also the fact that it is an election year, so we've got mm-hmm. presidential politics on our mind, and yeah. you know we're just talking politics a lot lately. It seems yeah. like so. Yeah. So there are several things that have led us to this, and yeah. I think it's appropriately muddied and unclear as to w- and unclear <laughs> as to why exactly we're picking JFK, uh, because JFK, OJ made in America, the People versus OJ Simpson take very muddied topics and uh, seek to bring some sort of clarity to them so if you haven't seen jfk go ahead and you should watch it definitely it is a bit of a long movie yes uh, but i think we're both coming at it saying it's worth it oh yes we both really so. loved it but i haven't seen it since the first time i saw it which was a couple you know which was years ago if you have seen it i would i would probably recommend rewatching it there's it's such a complex movie um that there's probably people in it that you don't remember were in it and right joe pesci and newman from seinfeld is in it um, so let us know if you have thoughts on Ghostbusters or any other episode that we've done in the past. Also let us know if you have thoughts on JFK before we record the episode. As usual, you've got us on Facebook, uh, Twitter, at CWSBF. We've got our website, canwestillbefriends.net. Email us. Uh, the email address is feedback at canwestillbefriends.net. And then uh, we've got voicemail. We do. Yeah, which uh, I would encourage everyone to, uh, you know... Give us a call. Give us a call. Yeah. Who are you going to call? Can we still be friends? It doesn't quite have the same ring to it, but... No. But Ray Park bad. Well, okay. It, you sounded like you thought it was bad. I, it's not that... I, I, you know, I have to hear it with the drum beat and everything and the synth. I get it. But anyways, if you want to give us a call, uh, you can give us a call 847-306-9532. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, and uh, as always, thank you for listening. We've got so many different avenues. Uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Music. Yep, so many places you can catch us, and it's always a lot of fun when we uh, when we can hear from you and uh, mm-hmm. have that sort of you know constant dialogue going on, and let us know what you've been watching lately. So, uh, you know, with that said, we want to thank you for listening to this episode of uh, Ghostbusters, and we look forward to talking about JFK with you. Yep. See you later. Mm-hmm.